Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Scott Phillips. And with me, as always, the straw man himself, Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? I'm very well. Yourself? I'm Well, I don't know. I'm on holidays. That's the good news. Oh, that's right. You're not even here. No, correct. Yeah. Well, like, I can't am, but I'm, it's, mate, theatre of the mind. How good is radio podcast, mate? Theatre of the mind. I'm here, but I'm not here. I Right now, if, if, uh, if this is all working properly, where am I? I should be in the Flinders Ranges, Wilpena Pound right now. So if you see me Beautiful. driving past, you listen to the podcast, I feel free to give me a wave out the window. We're, we're spending three weeks doing uh, kind of, you know, kind of eastern, kind of southeastern part of South Australia. So we're in Flinders Range, Beautiful. we're heading up to Arkarula. Uh, we're going to be heading down up to Parachilna, down through Adelaide, and out back through Lake Mungo. So I've got a, a really exciting trip planned. Of course, we are pre-recording this, so by then the borders might be closed, and I could be actually back here re-recording this by the time we get there. But assuming we don't, we have got a couple of weeks of pre-recorded content for you, folks. We don't want to leave you without something to listen to. Some of you will think that's good. Some of you will wish we had. Uh, but what we wanted to do is we'll still do our mailbags every Sunday. But on our Friday episodes, we obviously can't talk to you about news of the week, and that's probably a relief sometimes, and there's not much news around, but we thought we'd try and pick some topics that either you've asked us about, we think you might like to know about, so it's a bit more evergreen that we can talk about. It's just got a different, a different vibe to it, something that kind of you can pack away, listen to any time, it's less time sensitive. And what we thought we'd start with, Andrew, is we thought we'd start with some book recommendations. Now... Mm. This has been... Uh, we've had a couple of requests for this over, over the years. There's actually a mailbag question around somewhere with that one on it. I also posted... A, just I happened to post a, a photo of a book. A listener um, actually hit us up on Twitter and said, hey, you talked about this book recently, Scott. What, what was it again? I put a photo up on Facebook and I got like 100 likes on it. It was a really well-received... Po- it was just literally a post with a with book. But uh, we, we know that it kind of works. And, and frankly, most of our listeners are investors, would-be investors. They care about the economy or investing. Um, and so kind of this stuff is, is useful to them. So on at that basis, that's cool. we're going to take a massive assumption and assume mm-hmm. you want to hear from us for about 45 minutes or so. We'll see how we go with timing. Andrew and I, by the way, notoriously go over time. You won't know this because you don't see our pre-podcast conversations, mate, but you and, you and I normally say, let's keep this one tight, and then we just talk. So this could be an hour and a half. It could be 25 minutes. I have no idea. Uh, but we're going to go goes. with it and see, see where we get to. All right. Let's, so we're going, to have, we're going to have 10 books. We will, I will write them down. I will read them back and we'll put them in the bio uh, notes. The show notes, as the cool kids say, of the podcast. You'll have them all there. Um, but I thought we'd just start. We'll go one each. Uh, roll out some yep. ideas. We'll talk about what the book is, who it's by, what we kind of learned from it or what we think you should learn from it and why it's worth reading. So I'll start with you, Andrew. What is your, not in any order unless you want to put it in order, what's your first book recommendation for our listeners? Um, I, I'm going to actually go with one by Howard Marks, which is the most important thing. And uh, Howard Marks is uh, one of the founders of Oak Tree Capital. It's a very successful fund. Um, he is more into bond investing, but he's sort of he's one of these guys like Buffett. He's he's always written a annual letter or a regular letter to investors. You're not saying after Andrew, a while, you started by saying he's a bond investor. That's, I, I don't know. That's the, uh, the thing you put at the top of your CV if you want people to read your book. But tell me, it's worth reading. <laughs> it's very much worth reading, and it kind of you know this is the point. Like whether it is in bonds or equities or property, I mean there there are certain investment principles, yeah. and it's kind of a little bit of a tongue in cheek uh, title because. It, Although it's called the most important things, there's like seven or eight most important things. Um, but he really tries to sort of highlight it. And, and like Buffett, he has a wonderful way of just conveying these in investing what are very simple ideas, but at the same time, if taken seriously, very powerful ideas. And they all, they, 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 again, like a lot of Buffett stuff, they sound a little bit cliched, mm, mm. but it's one of those things that's a cliche for a very, very good reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, and anyway, so I, I think that I think that is definitely one I would recommend for people uh, to read. It's a classic. Very good, mate. I like that a lot. In fact, it's one of those books. I, I'm going to talk about one in a second, which has the same trait. I, I listen to a whole lot of books and audio book these days. It's kind of my preferred way of consuming content. I'm like driving to Sydney or back, or I'm on the mower or doing whatever I'm doing, and and just podcast while I'm doing something or audio books while I'm doing something are really really useful. Um, yeah. This that I, so I have read the most important thing. I really enjoyed it. And it's one of those ones where I wish I hadn't. Well, I wish I hadn't done an audio book, but I kind of kept stopping. I wanted to write stuff down. It is just so packed full of great content. Like, yeah, that thing, that thing. Yes. I want to write that thing down. It resonates. Um, and it, 
self-evidently true enough, kind right? of stuff. Yes, yes, but also coming up in a really important way. And we'll get to a couple of examples of those. The first example, speaking which I was one, I actually wanted to raise myself because I'm going to recommend a book I have talked about before. Hey, hey, sorry, just to interrupt you, mate. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. Should we be given? Given we do have a little bit of license with time, should we just go through some of the the bigger takes from each oh, of those do. books? Yeah, yeah. If you got some, sorry, I thought you were done. Um, yeah, no, go for it. No, 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 no. Um, um, and I'd really encourage you, you too. Like I don't know if you if you remember. Uh, anything that jumped out at you um, kind of thing. But we were talking about this yeah. in the most recent podcast. We did the mailbag. Um, and, and in chapter one, he talks about this concept that no rule always works. And I think it gets it. It's one of these things that gets to this Is idea that, a rule? that yeah, it's, it's, it's the one rule. Yeah. Um, where where there tend to be opportunities there. We were talking about the January yeah. effect and the buy yeah. in May, yeah. or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um or certain technical indicators or certain value investing approaches. Like mm-hmm. history rhymes, but it doesn't repeat. There, there yeah, are, yeah. when it comes to investing, it's by nature, it, it's a self, it's a dynamic system. You, there won't be a rule that always works. Yeah, so yeah. I'm kind of contradicting myself and himself here where he, he talks about, you know, there are these core sort of principles and I guess you could call them rules, but he's talking more about the specific approach and strategy that you take to investing. Yeah, okay. It's not, it's, it, it is, yeah, it is, it is always sort of changing and, and that psychology plays a big part in all of that as well. So that, that was something that really resonated for me. I like that. I like, I like how Mark's life. It's a really, really cool book. I liked, I liked it very much. Mate, my, the, the book that I, had the same experience with an audiobook. That's why it kind of was a nice seg between yours and mine was um, the little book of behavioral investing. And this is what I've talked about before on the podcast. It is, I, if I could have, if I could have all of our listeners read only one investing book, it would be this book, hands down. There are some great Mm. books on the rest of my list. I'm sure you've got some great ones on your list as well. Um, I don't know of a more impactful or potentially impactful investing book than this one. Because at the end of the day, whether you beat the market by a little bit, lose the market by a little bit, or match the market with your stock picking, unless you're really, really, really great at it, really, really bad at it, it's probably not going to be as impactful as how you manage to keep your emotions in check and understand the things that you're doing or not doing as an investor that can either make you money or lose you money. And this, you know, the the the, the impact of something like this is just, I can't, honestly, I can't state highly enough how important this is. Um, you, you, so it's by James Montier, M-O-N-T-I-E-R, um, it's really well written, really smart. So it's a little book. So it's only it's relatively short. It's easy to read it really book. quickly. It's a couple hundred yeah. pages, um, but they're yeah. small pages. One of those little sort of you know short books, um, and it is it is literally just a, a little book. Yeah, it is literally it's just a fascinating read. Fascinating read. Um, I, I, I'm struggling to come up with a, few, with a few things to kind of call out in particular. What I what I, so I thought I'd, I thought I'd read a couple of a couple of just chapter headings actually as I as I pulled the book off my shelf when I was going to talk about it. Um, the, the, just here's a couple, right? Uh, the first one is information overload, and it's just the reality of humans are. There's so many less. Like, just, just read it. Don't, don't ever listen to my summary. Just read it. Um, humans are so bad at processing information. We don't have the evolutionary framework to do it. But what we kind of learned over time is the more things we knew, the more the smarter we thought we were, and the better equipped we, th- we thought we were to make a decision. So, but it turns out when you do the research that. If you ask someone, you give someone a couple of pieces of information, you ask them to make a, a decision or a forecast or a prediction or a, a judgment, and then you ask them their confidence in that judgment. So you say, okay, what do you think? And they say, X. Yeah, how sure are you? So I'm about 75% sure. Okay, fine. When you give them more information, and by the way, then you judge them whether, whether their judgment was right or not. You know the, you know the, the outcome, so you can mm-hmm. rank, rank how good or bad they are at actually being right. The more information, you, as you give them more information, as you go to, from two bits to four to 10 to 20 bits of information, their chances of being right don't change one iota. Mm. But their confidence goes through the roof. Mm. So when they say they are 50 or 60% confident with two bits of information, 75% confident with 8% bits of information, 90% confident with 19 bits of information, their confidence goes through the roof, but their, um, their actual accuracy doesn't improve at all. And it's just a reminder to me to not be fooled by massive amounts of data or information or always seeking out the next bit of information or or letting it overwhelm our ability to actually get this stuff right so that that's that's really important the other one i, I love is this one i've um I, I say this to the guys at work all the time andrew it's it, it, the the chapter heading is right for the wrong reason or wrong for the right reason mm. and it's that idea of you can't judge your outcomes ironically <laughs> as an investor just simply you can't judge you can't what's the best way to say this you can't or shouldn't 
invest based on the success or otherwise of your past experiences without knowing whether or not they actually were right for the wrong reasons or wrong for the right reasons. So if, um, for example, I ran across a busy 10-line highway, didn't get hit by a truck, I was right. It was safe. See, it was fine. I should, I should do that more often. Now, we all know, that's an obviously stupid example, because we all know if you run across 10-line freeways, you will get mowed down by a truck at some point, probably sooner rather than later. Mm. Getting away with it once being right for the wrong reason, in this case, just stupid luck, is not an excuse, right? Um, and, and similarly, being, being wrong for the right reasons is also true. So you say to somebody, you shouldn't run across the road. They do and they, they make it. You are wrong, <laughs> but for the right reasons. Your, your judgment was right. Just because the, the single outcome didn't work doesn't mean you should change. You should all of a sudden change your view like, oh, yeah, no, I was wrong. Yeah, it's definitely safe to run across the freeway now. Look, that person just did it. Now, again, they're stupid examples. They're extreme examples, but I use them because it's just really, really important. It kind of dovetails with something else I say all the time, which is never tr- trying to learn the wrong lessons from investing, mm-hmm. right? The, the thing that the thing that loses you money, if you if you bought shares in Amazon and in Pets.com, right? The lesson there isn't I lost money in Pets.com, therefore online retail is stupid, never going to make any money. But yeah, that, that would have been the wrong lesson to yeah. learn, right? The, the, if you had the idea of online retail will be huge, I'll buy these half a dozen companies, including Amazon. Was the, you know what, what was the right lesson to learn? Now we know, you, again, I use an obvious example for people say, okay, well, in this case, it was. Online retail was going to be a thing, but not everyone was going to survive. And I wasn't wrong just because Pets.com failed. Mm. I was actually right because I got the trend right and I had some examples, some that worked, some that didn't. And so again, really, really important. Just that behavioral stuff of being really clear. Almost The, the challenge for humans is getting outside our own heads. You've got to be able to look at your own thinking from outside that thinking. That's really you've, got to see reality, you've got to see reality as it is, not as you would have it. Exactly, correct, correct. So that, that little book of behavioral investing, James Montier, just a spectacularly good book. What's your number two? I, I will, well, let okay. me just, uh, uh, this is where it gets dangerous, doesn't it? I can see where, where the time pressure uh, comes from. But <laughs> it, it, I, I also love that book. And there are, there are so many great um, ones in there. Um, yeah. One thing I'll, I'll call out for me is the anchoring bias. That is one I, I yeah, feel as though is a very common one that we all suffer from. We all have these, we all refer to uh, our attitude towards a stock based on whether it's up or down, whether it's cheap or expensive, it's all about where it was. And it's just, it's such a big, I see it as a real fundamental problem with how we think. And getting past that is is just done such wonders for me personally. So I I definitely highlight that. I have to say too, we don't have time to go into it, but I love, you touched on some of the experiments that they've done. The the Mm -hmm. experiments that they do are so brilliant. You know, it's like like that one where they uh, they hold up the different uh, length of lines and there's, they're all actors except for one guy. And you've got to say if you think all lines are the same or That's not. That's right, so yes. A, a listener will write in and tell me it's the roast. No, I forget. Anyway, it's got a particular uh, name for it. Yeah. And and after a while, uh, like he just, even though he can do it's right in front of him. Clearly the lines aren't all the same length because everyone else is saying it. Yep, you'll yep. go along with it. Social and it's one of those, oh, what an idiot. But, so, but yep. we all do it. So yep, anyway, I love all of that stuff. I, I, I also recommend that. So my next book is Very one. Quickly, before you do, um, I just want to say yeah. one more thing about this book, only to say, if it sounds boring and kind of like, you know, psychology and dense reading, Montier does a spectacular job of using examples to tell the yeah. story. So if you're, if you're thinking about buying, you're like, oh, that sounds boring and behavioral investing. and yeah. it, it does a spectacular job. He writes well, but he uses really, really provocative examples. It just, you kind of look at it, oh man, yeah, that's really clear. So it's a really, really good book. Go. Yeah, yep, definitely. So the next one is Poor Charlie's Almanac. And this is uh, from Charlie, Charlie Munger. Yeah, yes. it's, it's a real, it's an old, it's been around for ages. I forget when, when he wrote it, but um, uh, it, it, He's, he's Warren Buffett's right-hand man. He's just such a great thinker. So Charlie is obviously a wonderful investor, but he's, he's better described, I think, as, as a bit of a polymath. His interests run uh, over a very broad spectrum. Yeah. And I would actually say, as a little bit of a segue, I think all the best investors I know are like that. Not, mm-hmm. not, a, not a polymath and genius in all areas, but it's... It, it's it's bringing in lessons and uh, perspectives of other areas yep. into your investing because you know these these are real world companies that operate in the real world anyway it tends to do to do uh, to do you pretty well anyway Charlie has a whole bunch of things and again it's not very much a, an investment book per se it is mm. it is a, it goes over broader things but mm. the thing that really struck uh, stood out for me is he has this 
big big emphasis on rationality and decision making mm-hmm. and importantly having a willingness to change one's mind um which I think is really, really valuable. You talk about behavioural biases, you know, it, the endowment effect is another one I'm quite fond of or, mm. or hate, depending on how, what <laughs> context you use it. You're using it in, you know, so once you've got a stock, if it starts going badly and everything, you'll do all kinds of things to delude yourself. Um, whereas the best investors are, are very good at holding firm to their conviction, but also, as I said before, seeing reality for what it is, recognizing that. And, yeah. and Charlie talks a lot about you actually need to deliberately consider the other side of the argument. In fact, you need to state the other side's opinions better than they can themselves. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you have to just jump to that conclusion and reach that, but you have to understand what tell me, Munga says, tell me where I'm going to die so I don't go there. And and getting great investment returns is, we all think getting great investment returns is about finding that great stock. And obviously you've got to find good stocks, but it's, I would say it's probably slightly more about the stocks that you don't invest in. Oh, You know, you you, you and I, you and I can have, well, you know, I think we can boast pretty good long-term track records, but if we put 90% of our money in something tomorrow that goes down 90%, it's all yeah. undone. It's all over. It is yep. all yep. undone, and yep. and yep. It, it's it's just it's just about that, that. Another saying of Munger's is invert, always invert. Right? Just look at a problem and then look at it in a different way, and and take it seriously. Um, you may still find that you end up with the original conclusion that that you had, but but it can it just helps you avoid those pitfalls, and those pitfalls can be very yep. costly. So read it. Strong strong buy recommendation on that book. Love it. Uh, if you're worried about the name, by the way, the name poor Charlie's Almanac was taken from Poor Richard's Almanac, written by Charlie Unger's hero, Ben Franklin. Uh, ah, that's right, that's, that's right. You probably know that, but that's where the name comes from, which is kind of it's a little, a little bit of a side. Uh, but a really cool, a little, a little really cool side. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, cool. Mate, my, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with, with the Berkshire connection. I'm going to go with, uh, I own shares in Berkshire Hathaway, for full disclosure. Um, I'm going to go with the complete essays of Warren Buffett. Which sounds kind of about as boring as you'd expect. Essays are not great as a as a, as a subject line, as a title. Um, this is this is the pre-internet days when you didn't have to have catchy clickbait titles. So, the complete essays of Warren Buffett. Buffett writes, as you've already mentioned at the top, Andrew, an annual letter to his shareholders, and that is just chock full of great stuff. Yeah. And if you've been investing for forty years and you've already heard it all before, read it anyway. <laughs> but yeah. if you haven't, you definitely need to read it. Um, great for a whole lot of things Buffett breaks down the ideas really simply he expresses the most important business and investing ideas really simply and really easily um, the good thing about this particular book is it actually ca- it actually collects all the top or so rather than presenting every year in order you know 65 then 66 and just one after the other they pull the concepts together that are that are about a certain thing and they wrap them all together so you'll see a few different letters about a particular topic and so rather than kind of having to read through it all in, in kind of you know, chronological order for the sake of it, if he writes a lot about, I don't know, moats, right, competitive advantages, all that's in one chapter in this particular book mm. and so mm. on and so forth. So it's a, just a really, it's a, it's a really simple change, but it's a clever way to get a really great, it's honestly about as close to an investing MBA as you're going to get in a book because um, it's Buffett spending the last best part of 50 years explaining the stuff that matters in, in a really easy to understand way um, and you know if, if you're not a much much better investor after reading that I'd, I'd be surprised Buffett also writes pretty engagingly he's not the world's best writer um, but as a shout letter it's it's the best out there um, well it's not, it's not the best writer he's good he's just you know, you know it's, not, it's not a page turner like it's, it's not, a, not a crime thriller or a Michael Lewis book um, but you know really he's a good writer he, he explains things really clearly really simply the most important things you need to know to, to steal Howard um, Marks' book line. Um, just so you will, you will be a much better investor having read it. I just it's, it's one of those basics, and it's one of the very few books that I reread regularly. When I say regularly, I mean every month or every year, even. But I must have read it maybe five or six times around. I think. Um, yeah. And I'm probably overdue to go back to it. It's just one of those things. It's, it's like the oh, it's like books you have to annual meetings, right? You don't you learn very little brand new when you read them. But it's kind of like going to church on Sunday, right? It's just the minister or the priest or the, the padre out there saying, you know what, here's the stuff that's really important. Don't forget it on Monday morning when you go back to your life. And we all kind of think we know it. And we all would say, yeah, of course we already know that. But the reminder in simple, a bit like how Mark's again, in simple terms, simple, easy, understand, well-written, enjoyable read, super valuable. One of my, again, as with the behavior, little book of behavioral investing, um, these aren't all going to be necessarily in order. But if I was going to read two books, they'd be the two I'd read. 
you've, you've reminded me of a couple of things there. Like when we were thinking about what books to include here, there was a lot of books that jumped out that I was immediate. Yes, I'm, I'm definitely going to recommend yeah, that yeah. one. But to be honest with you, I read some of these years ago and then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, actually, what was the key? It, there, is, there is huge value in rereading a lot of these uh-huh. tomes um, because it, it, it's not that it just refreshes you. But after yeah. having walked down the path for a little bit, you're a different mm-hmm. person now than you were ten years ago. Yes, so yeah, you can so true, you true. can you can draw. I think especially as you get more experience, you draw new lessons that you didn't mm-hmm. get the first mm-hmm. time around. So it's a refresher, and you can still get something out of it. So Good rereading yeah, yeah. books is is something that I, I think is you know reread the right books, of course. But um, yeah, uh, I also was going to say I don't think I've ever know of any successful or uh, accomplished investor that I know of who doesn't quote or defer to Buffett in some way, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of different styles and successful people and stuff mm-hmm. out there. But some, you know, he he really. I think Benjamin Graham was the first person to ever sort of approach investing with a rational, scientific, almost like process and Buffett really mm-hmm. took those ideas and then with Munger ran with them but also has just done it in laying out the 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 um the axioms or the mantra or you know the the commandments if it was if, if you want to call it sort of like the bible of investing it is so yeah. fundamental I think we've oversold the hell out of it but I just wanted to say I 100% agree with your recommendation there. No, I like it. You know, it's one of the, it's one of my other investing mantras is generally speaking if I disagree with Warren Buffett I assume I'm the one who's wrong. I, yeah. If you live your, live your life by that by that approach, and you're probably in a pretty good place. Well, I think the, the other thing too is people can get too like Buffett's. You, you can get too fanboyish. You know, mm, there's plenty mm. of things not to like about Buffett, and he's he's had a, a pretty bad run of late, and and all the rest of it. And there's plenty mm, of mm. things he does that that I disagree with. But it's just sort of on the big ideas. They're very they're very pithy. There's they're full of a lot of wisdom, but they also have a lot of danger of being misconstrued. Like I always like the one which is Buffett's rule one, never lose money rule two, mm-hmm. see rule one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like you pe- people can draw the wrong kind of lessons from that. I, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm, all I'm saying is, is read it, but no, I think you're right. you'll, yeah, yeah. What, I think whoever right. you are, whatever your approach, I think you will get something out of it. And it's, it's, it's worth doing. So, um, the next one I was going to go with, mate, is a bit more, uh, again, less of an investing book, more of a, a, a business book. And like it's that. called Competitive Advantage by Michael Porter. Competitive um, Advantage, okay. Yeah, it's, it's really good. He's done, um, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. It's really around strategy for business mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. He's, in fact, I think you can find a lot of this stuff for free online, his original papers and this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. but Porter is kind of the guru. He's the, fa- the father of kind of business strategy, right? He is, and he's he's taken that concept and Tom again. Peters, probably, yeah. It, it, uh, sort of a, a, initially, sort of espoused by by Buffett, um, th- this idea of moats, and, mm-hmm. and talks a lot about them. So I think if you're serious about being a stock picker, if you're serious about being an investor, mm-hmm. really the share markety stuff is the like the last step. You know, it, it, it's more about looking, being able to look at a business and say, this is a good business. And this is, and moreover, this is why it's a good business and yeah, why it will totally continue agree. to be a yep. good business. Yep. You know, it's kind of like what, what things like PE ratios and, you know, the best time of the year to buy and stop loss on all this sort of stuff that gets a lot of airtime is, is the last step on the journey. It's, 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 What's the saying? I'm I'm a better investor for being a businessman, mm-hmm. and I'm a better businessman for being an investor. Mm-hmm. I I think if if you need to approach the market with a business owner's mindset because you're you're buying a small part of a business. So when you yeah. understand the the major drivers of business, the main things that kind of matter, competitive di- dynamics that are in play, it's a little bit dense. I'll admit with this book, like he goes right down it, but. Even again, like with Buffett, the high level ideas, mm. the things mm. that matter when appraising mm. a business, um, it's just so valuable because it also speeds up your process and reduces your frustration as an investor. Because I think one of the one of the skills that develop over time is that you get good at saying no. So there are mm. certain businesses that I can just say no straight away. And and there'll be plenty of instances where you go, I got that one wrong. But more often than not, you know it's probably not going to be a good investment because mm. it has certain characteristics that that you know you know that the dynamics and the and the and the and the drivers that are at play are not favorable. So even if it does work out, it's only because they got lucky on these kinds of things. So anyway, I'm overselling it again. Have you read have you read that <laughs> book? I have not read the book. I've spent a lot of time with the models and the ideas, but I've actually mm. never spent the time to read the book, believe it or not. I probably overdue. You, 
Yeah, it, a lot of it will be familiar because, as you said, the yeah, ideas have sort of, of been. Yeah. 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 I've, I've used but the model it, a heap of times, both in, as an investor and as a, as a business person back in the in, the, in a previous life. Um, so certainly, you know, aware of the ideas, but I probably should go through and actually put them in context and actually get the full the full uh, the full value of all of them. I would assume. Yeah. Yep. Do it. Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one that is a really really common. Uh, and commonly kind of um, highlighted book. And it's One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. It's getting a little Another bit long classic. in the tooth these days. Well, it is. Yeah, it's getting a little bit long in the tooth these days because Lynch was a fund manager mostly in the 80s and, and for some people that was the heyday and some people that was in the dim distant past. You know, how old you are if you're listening to this. Um, Lynch popularized a whole lot of stuff like scuttlebutt we talked about that in a previous episode um mm. he he was a growth investor kind of probably one of the earliest growth investors i think mate the ones that kind of really kind of didn't eschew the traditional valuation multiples but kind of looked more broadly in longer term some of the things we take for granted these days probably owe their i mean that probably happened anyway but owe their genesis to peter lynch and his involvement in that and the idea of kind of you know probably phil fish is the other guy actually by the way um basically you know lynch popularized things like uh, the term 10-bagger, for example. Again, take for granted now the ability you can actually get more than 10 times your investment in a single company. Yeah. It just wasn't really expected or understood and it certainly wasn't popularized back in the day. So probably one of the very first people to write a modern investing book. Mm. In, in a way. Not, not mm. a textbook, but just a, a, you know, a modern book about investing. Um, so really, just a really thoughtful way and a reminder, by the way, so he called it One Up on Wall Street. The idea is basically that the individual investor can and, and probably should be able to beat Wall Street at its own game and has advantages and again that scuttlebutt was one of the major ones but he had a whole list of uh, he's got an investment checklist which is I don't use uh, but again if you haven't read the book and you're a newer investor um, just some of that input is really really useful to kind of think about um, you know the, the the kind of Lynch way of going about investing um, and some of the things that again as an investor you won't necessarily use this you shouldn't use this checklist as a as a as a bible as an unbreakable whatever Um but it's, it's just worth having a think about. So we talk about things like, you know, obviously the price earnings ratio, um, things like insider activity, directed buying and selling, earnings growth, mm-hmm. balance sheet strength, the amount of cash. Just some really, some really simple things that, as an investor, you can you can have a look at and kind of try and work out what you want to do. Um, he, he also popularized breaking up companies into their kind of component parts. So he talked about slow growers or stalwarts or cyclical mm. stocks or fast growing stocks. Yeah, I love that. Turnarounds, yeah. asset plays. And so it's, it, it's, a, it's a nice, what, what I like about that is it lets, so as an investor, you know, people say, what, how, do I, how do I sort of what to invest in? And it kind of is like, it depends on what sort of company is, what you're looking for as an investor, who you are as an investor. But if you've got a slow growing company, hey, what should you look for? What, what makes it an attractive mm. investment? I love how he puts that in buckets. Like it's not its yeah, not that yeah. there's this one yeah. approach that you do for all companies. Investing in zero is very different to investing in right, BHP. Right. Is very, you know, yeah. Yes. 100%. And I love that. And Lynch not only breaks those up to make it easier to, to assess, but also then gives you a checklist of some ideas as ways of thinking about individual buckets to mm. try and find the best in those in those particular areas. So it's like a really, really cool book. You will learn a lot from it. You will It'll help codify some of your thinking. Um, and I find that's, as an investor, the, if you've been doing, if you're brand new, these are just like eye-openers. If you're mm. kind of an intermediate investor, you've been doing it for five, ten years, this stuff kind of just helps you almost, gives you, um, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor here, but it basically gives you kind of posts to, to, to nail your ideas to, to almost to kind of organise and codify those ideas, to, to systematise them. And I've, I know this, I've seen that, I think this, and then you see like a Lynch or a, or a Buffett, and you're like, oh, I know, okay, mm. I, get, I get that. I can kind of put those ideas in this bucket, gives you a frame of reference, gives you a definition, gives you some tools. Uh, really, really cool book. Yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. He, he's very quotable as well, Peter Lynch. He's got a million <laughs> yeah, great quotes true. that I steal relentlessly. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, okay, I'm going to go for another a little bit of an esoteric title and a oh. shout out to Joe Mager, our, uh, our our friend who runs Lake House Capital, um, part of The Motley Fool. He put me onto this book back when I was with you guys. Uh, it's called The Gorilla Game by yeah. Jeffrey A. Moore, uh, Paul Johnson and Tom Kippeler. Um, and it's about investing in high technology, and it's yeah. uh, it was I think it was 2014 or something like that. So it's not it's not a particularly old book, mm. but it it talks and it's a nice dovetail from what you're talking about with Peter Lynch. There's there are different approaches and strategies you should take to investing in different types of companies, and it's it talks about this the gorilla the reason it's called the gorilla game is it's it, he's they call these uh, hyper growth technology companies gorillas. Mm. 
Um, and they're the ones, and we, we all know the name, uh, the names mm-hmm. now, but really grow to dominate an industry. And so it's about sort of saying, one, when you look back at the best possible returns in equity investing, it tends to come from these kinds of situations. Um, and and how you identify them early, or at least as early as is sensible, mm-hmm. this is how you go about it. Um, so it kind of outlines this framework. You know, it's, it's look for a, a new and emergent market. It's just like something that didn't exist before, but is now here and is going to be a big thing. The internet's the obvious example, but there's actually a lot of things like that with, under that umbrella. Yep. Yep. Uh, they were talking about chip manufacturing in the book, uh, all, all kinds of like uh, things mm-hmm. like that. IBM back in the day. Anyway, it's it's the kind of industry where the leaders, you know, or the industry as a whole, in an early stage, it literally is one hundred percent growth year on year on year on year. Now, obviously, it's yeah. coming off a very small base, mm. but it's it's these kinds of things, and they're basically saying that. Um, and it, it talks a lot too about the technology adoption curve. So there's this mm. chasm, you know, there's this a technology like three D printing is a good example. It comes along, and you have these early proof of concepts, and we all get super excited about it. And there's some early adopters there, but it's not commercial yet. In fact, it's a. Then they go into this what they call the bowling alley. You know, it's this big uh, thing where a lot of people get stood up and then get knocked down, and 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 then eventually the mainstream comes onto it. And it's mm-hmm. it's a very non-linear thing. Things to go tend to go very uh, exponential, very very quickly. Yeah. Um, and and they're basically saying. Yeah, so it's hard It's hard to distill the entire book, but it's basically if you can find these ones and they also acknowledge that most of the ones you find won't turn out to be it. So they say buy a basket of these kinds of ones, but then consolidate as it, as as the uh, industry leader starts to emerge because they tend mm-hmm. to operate in areas where there are very strong and potent network effects at play. So it's one of those things that the bigger you become, the bigger the advantage you have, you, you have which means you, 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 know, you become even bigger and it's sort of this positive feedback loop. So it, it, it's really good for me, I found, in, in not talking about anchoring before, there is absolutely can be a huge amount of sense for, for so-called gorillas into right. averaging up, you know, buying some at a dollar. But then as, as it becomes more and more likely that this is the industry leader and this is the one that's going to win, buying at $10 is perfectly sensible, right? Um, and, and continuing to consolidate as that happened. And importantly... Mm-hmm. And this is the big thing that they make is is just and then to hold for the long term, not to make that mistake of selling this great, you know, the dude who sold Amazon for 100 percent profit and thought he was a genius. Right. Um, that's enough said. That's enough of a ramble. Go out there and read it. The Gorilla Game. No, really, really. I, I it was a, again, frameworks are so valuable, right? Even if you don't ever use them specifically, totally. being yeah. able to just think through and that's why they're frameworks, right? They, they, they. Okay, I used the word codify before, and I'll do it again. But that that very idea of kind of having your ideas collected, put in a, in a framework, and ideally something that kind of shows you what happens through time, is really, really useful. And I think Charlie Munger calls it those mental models, right? It's yeah, it's, exactly, those, it's having those. It's yep. it's having a yep. scaffolding of ideas that you yep. can you've learned to link together in a sensible way over time which gives yep. you a prism you through which to judge new information um yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but that that's no you but you've, you've, you've answered you've done it in 10 words what i was trying to scramble through in about 400 words so well done that's exactly what it is um my my next idea is good to great now this is one of those again in the, in the field of business books rather than investing books in fact it's got almost nothing to do with investing except i think it's got everything to do with investing because it comes down to in my mind our ability as as investors to look at a business and a business model and to really think through the implications for the likely success or failure of an individual business. And Mm. Good to Great just really sets out in a really nice scientific way the way a a business can be analyzed. And and again, this is not, you know, so I've got an issue with most these days, business books and biographies, right? Because they're kind of like, hey, this is how I did it, you can do it too. And I've, I've called it in the past success porn and I'll, I'll, I'll hold to that because it's the idea of like, hey, these guys did really well. Richard Branson's a classic. Like, there's no one else like Branson. You can't go and start a underground record business and end up running a, you know, a, an airline and a, and a, you know, whatever else that Virgin does these days. It just, it just doesn't go that, that way for everybody, right? Yeah. And so yep. the fact that someone did it because of their circumstances, they, and frankly, a truckload of luck. You alluded to this last week, I think the week before, Andrew. The, the truckload of luck idea, which is basically, you know, yeah, you had all those things just to get on the playing field, but, you know, you had to have circumstances go your way to be successful. And that is mm. just so important. Anyway, a bit of a tangent, because good to great does the reverse of that. It literally takes two like-for-like businesses, one that succeeded, went from good to great, hence the title, 
and another didn't. And it just simply looks mm. at them both and, and did it with cross... So it was 10 different pairs of companies, mate. And it was, it was just a couple of decades ago now. Um, and literally said, okay, this company did really well. This one didn't. Another industry, this one did well. This one didn't. Same mm. industry or same area. Um, and, and basically tried to distill down from really painstaking research. What were the components of the business that did well that were lacking in the business that did badly? And mm. so really, really scientifically rigorous. Um, really, really thoughtful. Also a really important strategy. If you're, if you're in business, by the way, great, even better book. Um, but if you're investing, just think about the way these businesses make their money, uh, go about going from good to great. Um, it really, really seminal book for me as a, as a business person, as an investor, really regrounded my thinking. Um, one of the things I love is, is the idea of level five leadership and just that idea of kind of the effectively servant leadership. Um, thinking about who's running your business, what are they in it for? Are they truly making a difference? Who are they making a difference for? How are they making that difference? If you want long-term investing, which we tend to want to, um, long-term investing generally tends to come from investors and leaders who think long-term, right? That's, it's hard to, mm, it, yeah. it's, not, it's not impossible, but it's very, very hard to build a long-term out of succession of short-term focuses. You know, yeah. that, that is by definition long-term, but you can't, unless you're really, really lucky, you have to have a long-term focus to start with. Now, this was just a, it's just a really, really great book. Highly, highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in business or investing or preferably both if you listen to this podcast. Um, if you don't learn something, if it doesn't change your thinking about it, I'd be remarkably surprised. Yeah. You know, I, I, another little segue here. I, I think um, you, you have so all, – all of this – you talk about the investment that you could make in yourself to, to become a better yeah. investor. And a lot of people tend to assume I need to go get the MBA or I need to have done a degree in <laughs> finance or yeah. I need to have worked for Goldman Sachs. So like, frankly, I've got to say, and I don't mean any offense to anyone who's got these accomplishments because they're hard to get. <laughs> I, You know, I, you've – you will get so if you if you were to say right, I'm just going to spend 200, 300 bucks on a set of books, ones we've recommended yeah. here, and there's a whole host yep. of others. The the <laughs> you as a as a person as an investor are going to have such an immense edge on on the person that you are today that it's it's kind of like and 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 that, a lot of people I've I've made that comment to friends before, but they're just not into that kind of stuff. It's like oh, it's just boring, I'm not it, and that's fine too. But that also tells you a lot about yourself. It's like maybe you shouldn't right, be a stock right. picker. Right or make and and that's cool. Just do the ETF thing that we always talk about. It's it's really cool. But but if if you are and I would I would very strongly encourage it. Not just for the financial reward, but just because I find it so darn stimulating and interesting. Um, mm. You read you read a collection, yeah, two hundred three hundred dollars worth of these these books. Man, you're gonna I I would guarantee I would I would be happy to give you some of my money to manage over the next ten years because you'll you'll probably do a half decent yeah. job at it. Anyway, no, that's. Mate, I, so I, I, people often ask me, hey, what should I do to be an investor? Or, or what should, and they're normally asking, what, what, what should I do to get a job in investing? And I've got mm. two, and there are always two different answers, right? Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, we have a lot of colleagues who've done the Chartered Financial Analyst designation. Mm. Um, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do less. Now, I may yeah. have to at some point do it because the industry requires it or something else if I have to. I have to. Uh, I've done some um, of it. It's soul destroying. I just, it, and mm. it doesn't make you a better investor. I did years ago, yeah. the old Financial Services Industry Association. Remember that one, Fincia? Yeah. Oh. Uh, it wasn't before that yeah. Securities Institute of Australia used to be called back in the good old days that's yes, why I first the course and I did a valuation and look it's fine but it's, it, it teaches you how to think like everybody else all the other shiny bums in, in, in professional finance doing exactly the same things with the same spreadsheets and mm. I, you know now I say to people if you're going for a job in a traditional firm you probably got to do the course because that's kind of prerequisite these days so you know what, do I think you need to be an investor no absolutely not do I think you need to get a job probably uh, which tells mm. you everything you need to know about the finance industry by the way and again yep. yet another reason yep. why I'm going to be um, if I get kicked out of the Motley Fool, I'll be doing something else in finance. I've got no friends in the finance industry at the moment other than, other than you. Or maybe even that's not uh, long-lasting. We'll see whether you still want to Don't, don't, don't lump me with, with that lot. Yeah. <laughs> I just mean you don't like me. <laughs> my enemy's enemy is my friend, right? No, so, yeah, yeah, no true, I, think, I think you're, you're exactly right, mate. You, it's a really, really good point. Yeah, All right, what do you yeah. Next so, so honestly, do it. So I was gonna, I, 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 one that I mentioned to you that I was going to go with, I've changed my mind. Oh, late, oh look at Late a late swap. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with "Fooled by Randomness," which is oh, uh, from Nicholas Taleb. Yep, and okay. so he's the guy who wrote "The Black Swan." And again, I've gone with a lot of investing books that aren't really specifically about investing. Yeah. yeah. Um, although he does talk about a lot of the concepts he talks about and uses examples of that. It's it's this idea that as humans mm. we are we are we 
<laughs> we are pattern recognition machines. Yeah. And as an evolutionary trait, it's been it's been a really valuable kind of thing. The trouble with it is, is well, there's a dark side to it, is that it, mm. it fires when it, it shouldn't. And we really overestimate causality and things. So we see things and patterns that aren't there all of the time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, and then we also we, we always feel as though the world it's it, things are much more explainable um, than perhaps it really is in 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 mm-hmm. in nature. We also have yeah. survivorship bias, skewed distribution. We look at people who do certain things and get certain results. We forget that there's there's another thousand examples of the mm-hmm. exact same person who did the exact same thing and it turned to be a, a terrible outcome. So it's mm-hmm. it's I find it really I found it really helpful in shaping my thinking in terms of investing. Because when it comes to the share market, this thing that we call the share market, this big Afer Morris you know, network of thousands mm-hmm. of thousands of different people, all playing slightly different games, all you know, we're all buying and selling shares, mm-hmm. but there's mm-hmm. just so many different things going on in there. And to your earlier point of so much information that we have these days, there's just a lot of it I just think is nonsense. And yeah. and we're we we lose sight of the forest for the trees where we we we've and this book, not not to sort of where it, it distinguishes from the one that you were mentioning, was that I think it sort of helps you spot things that are more likely explainable by mm-hmm. randomness mm-hmm. and to understand where there are, in fact, maybe dr- real drivers at play that you can you can take advantage of as, as an investor. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, again, it's about sort of knowing, tell me where I'm going to die so I don't go there because... You'll see it in chart patterns. You'll see it in economic data. There's these wonderful examples where people intentionally create create random data and then give it to experts. It's the ultimate academic yeah, troll right. exercise. And it's, I love these experiments that they do because you hand someone a, a bunch of data who's a so-called expert in that field and stuff, and they'll give you an interpretation and they'll build a narrative around it. Mm. But I mean, by definition, this thing has been, cre- it, it's done to prove a point. This has been randomly created and yet we've still built a story around it. So it's, I don't know, it's, I, find it, I find it really fascinating stuff and I find that, again, just draw a line back to investing here. You, you need to sort of be on the lookout for that, for that randomness because you will easily be fooled by it and a lot of it is going yeah. to, <laughs> to lead you in some dark directions. I like it, mate. I like it. Um, man, I've got. I I had a, I had a fifth book as well, and I changed it while we were talking about it. And then I've, I, I'm looking at the, the the desk behind me or the bookcase behind me, and I just it, there's so many. So I'm going to, I'm going to give a couple of like just gonna, I'm going to name some books that are just great reads. Like if you just if you're kind of into business and investing a little bit, and you just want some really really just fascinating reads. Um, I'll give you a couple and I'll get back to um, to my actual recommendation. First one I'm going to suggest to you is Moneyball by Michael Lewis. Um, about baseball, Great actually. Book. But yeah. it's about the way that data informed an old game. And it's it's a reminder about innovation. It's a reminder about disruption. It's just a fascinating story in general and what can be done. But think about it differently. Um, I like that as, a, as, a, as an idea. Um, I think the the so I like that one. Barbarians at the Gate is a great read. I haven't read it in years. It's a oh, I need read. to go back and reread that one. That was a brilliant. One. So this is about basically when, when private equity raiders kind of were born. This this was the archetype for every PE raid since. Mm. Um, the Barbarians at the Gate were the private equity raiders trying to take over the business. Uh, R.J. Bisco, the old cigarette mob, uh, and Kohlberg, Kravis Roberts, now known as KKR. You'll have heard that that uh, acronym before. An amazing, amazing, amazing story. So really, really cool. Like that a lot. Um, the Short History of Financial Euphoria by John Kenneth Galbraith is also fascinating. Oh, yeah. Um, just telling the story of bubbles. That, that's a, like so many great books. We should do a longer list, mate. Probably not as a podcast, but amazing. Um, yeah. So that they're all they're all fascinating. All the Devils Are Here by Bethany McLean and Joe Nocera was about the, the GFC. Uh, smartest Guys in the Room, the Enron story, fascinating. Just oh, so many good great books. Great one. Yep, yep. Anyway. What about, what about what about where where are all the customers yachts? Is that on your bookshelf? Oh, that's great, isn't it? That is isn't awesome. that a good one? Bookshelf, actually, no, I got a different bookshelf up in the house. It might be there. I think. Um, just oh man, so many. I've got I've got beating the street. I'm going to go with one that's that's a, a bit of a left turn, mate. And this is not even about business or investing, although it's about both business and investing. And it's just simply Gitonomics by the Sydney Morning Herald's economics journo, economics editor Ross Gittins. Um, I first saw Ross Gittins when I did my HSC. He gave he gave a, a pre-HSC economics lecture. Uh, I can still vividly recall sitting there with a mate looking down from the, the high the high seats in one of the university lecture theatres uh, watching Ross Gittins tell us what we needed to know for the, the, um, the HSC. Uh, must have worked on me. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's coming coming through now and, and it's, you know, it's all, it's all kind of, uh, it's all 
um, I say cross pollinators. It's just it's, it's un, un, bubbling under the bubbling away under the surface there. Um, just lovely, really good guy. Knows his stuff. Great reading the Herald. By the way, for, well, not for free. The Herald costs you money, but. If you're not reading Ross Gittin's economics articles, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. Um, Gittinomics just explains the way the economy works. And I think for Mm. many people, maybe even most people, that's a really, really undervalued thing. We all kind of think we know it because we live in it. Um, And it's kind of like, yeah, I know the economy. There's there's, there's businesses and employees and supply and demand, and that's all fine. But Gittin's does a really, really nice job in really, really simple terms of kind of just explaining the moving parts of the the economy. So really, very well worth, um, a book well worth reading, just, just to kind of, fill in the holes of the underpinning of kind of what does make the economy work because um, again those things matter right does it matter to your, your, the price of zero tomorrow probably not no um, mm. but it, it's just a really fascinating way to get yourself grounded in what actually makes the economy work it's written for non-economists you don't have to be an economist or, reader or even an economic student really accessible really easy read and just if you haven't read it do yourself a favour I, I, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it and I'm pretty sure you'll learn something from it I like that. I like that recommendation. You met, when you were talking there, you reminded me of a book. I need to track this down because I borrowed it at a library and I've never right. been able to find it since. It's. I'm going to not pronounce it right. It's Filthy Lucre, the L-U-C-R-E. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, yeah. French or something for, for money. Um, yes. he, it's actually written by a history professor, but it's about economics and he just nails it. Like, again, you sort of, you take all these things like, uh, foreign exchange or the current account deficit and just talks about it in a way that just dumbs it down. Mm-hmm. He has this wonderful mm-hmm. analogy where he talks about uh, uh, international currency trade as like mm-hmm. gift mm-hmm. gift tokens um, or gift certificates. So mm-hmm. the Aussie dollar is just a gift certificate that you can use in Australia, you know, but yeah. it's not accepted over here. So you have to, and, and it, it gives you a sense of, well, this is what drives, this is why the Aussie dollar is, worth this relative to the US and yeah. um, anyway, anyway that is like Gittinomics there's, there's some and, and by the way interestingly Giddens isn't a trained is not a trained economist either yes He's exactly a that's right yes yes that's right and, that's right um, it's like Martin Zweig in the in the US you know there's, yep, there's yep, a yep, lot yep. of these that I think actually now that I think about it, a lot of the best investors I know personally don't have those mm-hmm. those backgrounds and they sort of yeah, come at exactly. it from, it, from yep. another angle yeah yep, um, yep. Yeah, really interesting. So I'll end on, on one quick one. Um, and this is this is a really obscure book. I It was part of a job I had years ago. They got this guy called Peter Thornhill to come in and give a presentation. Oh, he sort of, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Does, he does sort of the presentation circuit, you know, and he's got he's got this really super thin book and called Motivated Money. And um, it all it does is it lays out the case for investing in the share market. So I don't know about you, but if ever you've said, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will resonate with this, if ever you've sort of said to friends and family, I'm investing in the share market, you usually get the reaction of, oh my gosh, are you sure? You know, and, and it, it just sounds, I've said it before, it, it always sounds like a highly reckless speculative thing. Anyone who invests in the share market is just is crazy. It's almost like b- investing in Bitcoin yes, or something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it has that stigma to it. This is the book to give to someone, because I'm sure no, no one mm-hmm. um, listening needs this, that says yep. actually it's not risky. It's actually very sensible, yep, and yep, yep. and and it's 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 not going to give you any deep insights in how you pick shares or anything like that. But in terms of hey, here's a vehicle for wealth creation. Mm-hmm. This is you should probably have some money invested in the share market. That's the case that it makes, and for that mm-hmm. reason, it's a great present to sort of give give the father-in-law or something for for Christmas. Yeah. No, I think I think it's right. I think it's it's one of those. I think you're right about people who aren't invested. And you kind of made the point earlier about you know just having a different having a different perspective, a polymath idea, or just having a broader perspective. I there aren't many spreadsheet jockeys who you'd actually want to say, "Hey, take my money." You know, people who just love the spreadsheet, like love investing. But but I'd rather someone who loves business and who gets how it all fits together. And kind of when you when you understand the broader context of life, and you know, mm. to your point about polymath, you know, some models from biology or ideas mm. from. You know other other areas or other experiences being able to relate. Oh yeah, the, at, yeah. psychology or something. Biology, psychology, is yeah. massive. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Chemistry. I, honestly, <laughs> it's all in I, there. I, I, if I had to put my chips on company analysis versus behavioral psychology, I would put eighty mm. percent of the chips on behavioral psychology. Mm. If you know, if if I, if you if I could allocate the time accordingly, because the chances of being, you know, wrong, if you if you if you, if you played enough hands. Of, of picking stocks even if you end up with something rep- roughly representing average because you end up being so diversified it doesn't matter anymore it, it's going to be the psychology that makes you or breaks you I really do think mm. that's a massive massive yep. component 100% 
We'll see how it goes. Mate, we're done. That was a really, really good list. So let me go through them. Thank you for this. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. The first one Andrew mentioned was The Most Important Thing by Howard Marks. I followed up with The Little Book of Behavioral Investing by James Montier. Andrew then threw in Poor Charlie's Almanac. Is that written by Charlie or is it edited by someone else, mate? Do you know? I think it, I don't think he he penned it himself. He seems like the kind of guy who wouldn't be bothered to do, to do it. So I think it was. I think he was <laughs> That's helped. That's true. All right. So it's, we'll find out who it's by. Uh, the fourth one we mentioned was the um, essays of Warren Buffett. That is done by Lawrence Cunningham. Just come to mind. Yeah. He he pulled them together, but again, they're Buffett's words. Uh, competitive advantage by Michael Porter. Yep. Was Andrew's fifth or his third, but the fifth book we mentioned. The sixth book we caught, talked about was One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. That was mine. The seventh was Gorilla Game. Do you remember who that's by? I've got it behind me, actually. By Moore, uh, Johnson, and Kipola. Yeah, yep, that's it. Um, the eighth book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, and it was co-authored with somebody. No, it wasn't. Here's other ones were. Just Jim Collins, Good to Great. Uh, if you're looking for another book, we recommend Fooled by Randomness by Nicholas Taleb. Is that right? Yep. And the 10th book was Gitanomics by Ross Gittens. And I mentioned a whole lot of others I won't go through again. Just some really, really cool, just fun reads that are very worthwhile doing. It's all it's all fantastic. There's yep. 10 books from us to you. Hopefully, I'm having a good time on holidays. Andrew, thank you. Hopefully, you're enjoying not speaking to me for a few weeks. So I'm sure you'll enjoy that as well. <laughs> uh, thank you, most importantly, to our listeners for listening. We are going to need some questions. We are going to need some feedback. If you have any questions about the books, if you have other suggestions for better books or additional books, we'll probably do this again at some point, maybe next time one of us on holidays or maybe just because we want to. So next time, if you've got a better book or a different book you think we should consider, let us know. If you've got a question, let us know. If you've got anything you want for our next mailbag, because when I get back, hopefully there'll be something in the mailbag. If it's empty, it's going to be a very quiet first episode back. I'm trusting you, dear listener, to make sure you send us your questions. You can do all of that. Go to info at fool.com.au. That's our email address. You can hit us up on Twitter. I'll go with Andrews first. At Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. If you're on Twitter or Insta, you can get me at TMF Scott P. Same handle for both. And The Motley Fool's handle is the same for both as well, Twitter and Insta, at The Motley Fool AU. If you're on Facebook, you can jump onto The Motley Fool Australia. Pretty straightforward. I'm Scott Phillips Money. It's all facebook.com slash those things. And of course, as I mentioned before, if you're on YouTube, you want to have a look at our uh, new videos we're putting up semi-regularly, including Stock of the Week and others we'll put up there over time. Uh, jump on that, subscribe to the channel, like the, the videos, hit the notification bell, all those good things that good YouTubers are supposed to say these days, um, just Google or, or go to YouTube and look up The Motley Full Money YouTube and you'll find our channel there. Mate, we're done. That's it. All done. That was great. Enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully, you've got some good book recommendations. I said, let us know what you think. In the meantime, we'll still be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.